Hey Food Allergy Mama, if you're here, you've likely experienced the scary and lonely food allergy diagnosis with your child. Unfortunately, food allergy parents aren't taught how to navigate the food allergy lifestyle, and it's easy to feel alone and discouraged sometimes. But I'm here to show you that food allergy life doesn't have to feel restrictive, scary, or isolated. I'm Karina, and I'm a 17-year food allergy mom and food allergy coach at Friendly Pantry Consulting. I specialize in making food allergy life safer and less worrisome for food allergy families like yours. I'm not perfect, but over 17 years, I've learned a lot the hard way, and I'm sharing the secrets and resources you won't hear anywhere else that will help you feel confident living with food allergies faster and easier than I did. From introducing allergens, travel, navigating school, and educating friends and family, this podcast will give you the essential tips and strategies you need to help your food allergy child and family thrive. Welcome to the show. Well, hey there, and welcome back to the show. Let me just start by saying that this podcast episode was actually not very easy to talk about. To prepare, I've had to remember some of the scariest times we've had with food allergies, and knowing that the things I did even though they were accidents at the time and knowing that they may have caused these situations makes my heart ache. The mom guilt is real and exposing my mistakes to the world is even harder. So luckily, not all of these mistakes caused reactions and if they did, they were mild. But I don't know what I would have done if my daughter would have had a full-blown anaphylaxis. And even thinking of that is difficult. Let's just say I'm so thankful that all of the situations turned out well. And we can now just call them learning experiences. Whether your little one has been newly diagnosed or you've been at this a few years, I hope that this episode helps you. And please know that I do not write this to scare you. I'm hoping to show you that nobody's perfect and to help you learn from my mistakes. Here goes. Mistake number one is allowing my daughter to have food with a may contain statement on the label. So this happened fairly early in our journey. And at the time, we honestly, we were unsure whether the companies were using may contain statements and if they were just covering their butt or if we actually had to worry about it. Well, we found out when my daughter had swelling on her face and hives and we quickly realized that may contain statements actually could have what they say they have have in them. Another example that happened, um, this actually happened fairly close to when this, the original incident happened, was that I ate a cereal that had may contain almonds on it. And when I poured that cereal into the bowl, what did I find but a whole almond? These things didn't cause us any problems, thank goodness, but they definitely could have. And so I feel like it's just something that if a company is going to put a statement or a precautionary uh, statement, I would definitely say to believe them and it possibly could be in there. So to me, it's just not the risk, not worth the risk. As a side note, actually, there is an excellent evidence-based podcast about precautionary statements created by the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. That's a mouthful. Um, I highly recommend that you give it a listen since it really explains precautionary labels very clearly and it's for um, Canada and US and I will post the link in the show notes so you can listen to that for yourself. 
Okay, myth number two is not knowing the symptoms of anaphylaxis and delaying action. So when my daughter was three, we went to a friend's house for a play date. And I actually talked about this in quite detail in episode number one. So if you haven't listened to it, definitely go back and take a listen. But the short version is that we were going for a play date and my daughter ended up having a reaction to peanuts. A big takeaway from that, I mean, I learned a few things from that, but one of them was that um, I was second guessing my decisions and I didn't know what I was looking for if anaphylaxis happened and eventually I delayed action and I really didn't take any action which could have been really bad so thankfully everything turned out okay but I really learned from that and what happened there is not okay So now um, we always carry uh, my daughter's anaphylaxis emergency plan and I've gone over it with her doctor and whenever I suspect a reaction or even if there's a small thing happening like some hives, we can refer to it and know exactly what to do. We do not have to doubt ourselves or wonder if it's actually severe enough to use the EpiPen because it's laid out right there for us. So um, I have a link to this in my newly diagnosed guide. If you haven't done so already, please grab it. It's free. It's called the newly diagnosed checklist. It's going to give you everything you need to know so that you can support your child in the best way possible now that you have food allergies and knowing is half the battle. So I'm going to post a link to that newly diagnosed guide as well as a link to a anaphylaxis emergency plan that you can use um, in case you, you haven't got one already. So that will be in the show notes. Another thing that we learned from this whole episode was to make sure that we understand what anaphylaxis looks like, but also to make sure we don't hesitate to use the EpiPen. Um, I think this is really important, so I'm actually going to do a whole podcast a little later on about not hesitating to use the EpiPen. So definitely watch for that soon. Okay, mistake number three is assuming that teachers know how to navigate food allergies in their classroom. Okay, so I have so much to say about school and food allergies. And as of recording, my allergy daughter is in grade 10. And I just have to say that out of all of the 13 years of school, which includes kindergarten and preschool, we've had maybe two or three teachers that truly understood the importance of food allergy management. So even then, um, sometimes they knew how to use the EpiPen, but they still didn't fully consider inclusion in the classroom. Or maybe they didn't quite understand what to watch for when it came to anaphylaxis. And this is so important because food is everywhere at school. It really touches the whole day and every day. So I'm not about fear. I don't want to scare you. I don't want you to be afraid of school. But what I do want you to know is that you will need to advocate for your child at school and you will need to know what to ask for and do it in a way that fosters collaboration and teamwork because that's what it's really about is coming together as a team to keep your child safe. I actually have a food allergy template. It's got 10 pages of things to go through with your school and the teacher at the beginning of every school year and it's super, super helpful. 
Not only that, but I have something called the School Success Pack that helps you get teachers on your side in one email. So yes, you're going to still have to meet them and educate them and go over everything. But with the School Success Pack, we dive deep into overcoming some of the biggest barriers to cooperation when it comes to food allergies in the classroom. So if school is coming for you, if it's coming this fall, I definitely want you to check it out. Now, I also want to point out that Teachers are not out to get food allergy kids. They want to help and they care. The problem comes in that they just don't know what they don't know because they have never, most of them, have never lived with food allergies. And unfortunately, food allergy awareness at school is really lacking. So I'm definitely going to be talking more about this on the podcast. But for now, I want you to start preparing for the fact that you're going to need to take a very active role when it comes to school and food allergies. Mistake number four, being lazy about reading labels. So I'm honestly very good about reading labels, but there are times when I might be overtired, just feeling lazy because I'm buying a product that we bought several times before. And a few years ago with pita bread, um, before we knew about my glute, my daughter's gluten intolerance. We were just looking for peanut and tree nuts on the label at the time. But anyway, I bought the same brand I always bought. So I skipped reading the label at the store. And it wasn't until I was home that I realized the label had changed and now it had a may contain tree nut statement. So at the time, I didn't realize that product formulations, manufacturing plants, and production lines can change at any time. It really just depends on the company's needs And this can change if an ingredient becomes difficult to source or they need to use a different production facility due to demand. Now what I've learned from that is that I read labels every time I shop. Then I reread before I store the food and again before I cook in case I missed it the first time. And I'd sometimes get other people in the family to read labels if it's something new, um, just to make sure that, because sometimes having another set of eyes really helps. The next mistake is actually something my husband did. I just want to say that on the record, not something that I did, but it's assume a product won't have an allergen in it because it simply doesn't seem likely. So this was my hubby's mistake, but anybody can do it. And learning, it wasn't a learning experience for both of us. Honestly, we were lucky because this mistake was missing wheat on a pack of Twizzlers. Like who would have thought that there was going to be wheat in Twizzlers? But after reading labels for many years, I can say that you would be truly surprised to see the unlikely things that are in foods that you would never guess. And not only that, but um, personal products as well. So make sure that you're reading the label every single time, even if you don't think you need to. Once at the store, once before storing, and once before using it to cook a meal. Now, mistake number six has to do with food allergy travel. And it was the fact that I thought I could buy snacks and non-perishables at our travel destination. To help explain this, I want you to use your imagination for a second. Do you remember what shopping for groceries was like right after your food allergy diagnosis? If you were anything like me, it was a hugely frustrating and discouraging time. There are so many labels to read and so many don't work for the allergens that you're looking for. In fact, I think I may have broken down crying once or twice. 
And remember, I know that it gets better and you settle into finding your safe products. And although it still takes a long time to shop, it's not as discouraging anymore. So when it comes to traveling with food allergies though, I don't want you to make this mistake because no matter how allergy friendly you've heard that the destination is, trying to buy groceries at that destination when it's all new to you is going to be discouraging and it's going to take a long time. Instead, pack those items from home. Here's the reason why. Because vacation is meant to be relaxing, fun, exciting. It's not a time to relive those days of frustration and trying to find safe foods. So instead, take the time to plan food before your vacation, pack all the main non-perishables and snacks, and then only buy fresh meat and veggies at the destination. Those are the things that you don't have to read the label on because there isn't a label. This is going to be so much easier and it's going to allow you to feel so um, stress-free when you're on your vacation. Trust me on this one. We have traveled all over the world and used some form of this type of packing on every trip. As a side note, I want to let you know, if you want one of the most safe and relaxing vacations ever, check out my food allergy travel workshop where I dive into all of my travel strategies that we've used traveling over to Ireland, Spain, France, the UK, Mexico, Bahamas, and all over Canada and the US. There's even a travel planning pack that will help you figure out what food to bring and how much so you never have to feel like you can't feed your family for any of your trip. Okay, on to mistake number seven, taking the wrong coat after a birthday party. Okay, so this may seem a little bit silly, but honestly, I feel like this story shows how food allergies affect every single part of our lives. And this happened when my daughter was probably in grade three and she had the same coat as another child at the birthday party. It was a cold day and when we came out, she did the zipper all the way up um, and it went up to her nose. And when we got back to the car, she mentioned that her face was itchy. Sure enough, we looked and we found a couple of hives on her face. And it took a while to figure out, like we were really worried, was this some sort of reaction from something she ate? But we figured that out that she had the wrong coat. Obviously, the child who owned the coat had eaten peanuts or some sort of nuts and gotten them on the coat, and it rubbed up against my daughter's face. So now, we always make sure to label her coat, take the right one at the end of a birthday party. Speaking of birthday parties with food allergies, if you're wondering how to quickly and easily educate hosts about food allergies and want an easy checklist to remember everything so you don't forget, check out my birthday party success pack. I'll post a link in the show notes because it's going to save you so much time during birthday party season. Okay, so I hope this podcast has helped you so that you don't have to learn some of these mistakes the hard way like I did. Of course, this list isn't extensive and there's a lot more myths out there, but I really hope that this has helped. Also, I know that I have gone really quickly through some of these, but I want you to know that we will go into more depth in future podcasts. Um, This one is really just talking uh, a lot about my mistakes and what I would differently do differently and what I've learned. So um, tune in for more information on a lot of these mistakes I made. Let me know what you think. Send me a DM on Instagram 
my handle is at Friendly Pantry and let me know if this is helpful and what topics you want me to cover in the future. And before you go, have you checked out my free resources yet? You can grab the newly diagnosed checklist where you're going to get the most important information you need to support your child in the best way possible. This is for anyone in the first year navigating food allergies. The other freebie is the Food Allergy Kids Empowerment Guide. You're going to empower your child so they can help keep themselves safe as they become more independent. This is designed for kids aged 2 to 7 years old so they're prepared for daycare, preschool, school, and school. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Before you go, Mama, if you love this episode and want deeper support, head over to FriendlyPantry.com to see how we can partner together to keep your food allergy child safer and worry less. There's no need for wasting time searching all over Instagram, TikTok, and the web to get the practical knowledge you need for your family. While you're there, grab your free Food Allergy Kids Empowerment Guide or the newly diagnosed checklist today. Topics are not medical advice and are the opinions, views, and property of Friendly Pantry Consulting Incorporated. All rights reserved. Always contact your board-certified allergist immunologist for health advice.